You're listening to English with Monty, the podcast about the English language. Today we're talking about direct translation and how you can help yourself avoid it. Hello there and welcome to English with Monty. We're on episode 22 now and I have Nicolo back in town. For regular listeners, they will understand that this guy is a superstar. Welcome, <laughs> welcome back, Nicolo. How are you? Hi, John. Thank you so much. I'm fine. And hello to all your listeners. There are millions now. Hello to all your million listeners. <laughs> in, in fact, we only get millions just for your episodes. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm not surprised, you know, for my voice. I'm not surprised. <laughs> anyway, spring has finally arrived. Fresh air, sunny days. There's some optimism in the air now, isn't there? But yeah, welcome back. I mean, for those of you who don't know, Nicolo's background is in acting. So he's an actor. And we've done a few episodes previously on articulation, on phrasal verbs, also about his experience in London. And today we thought we'd talk about the topic of making direct translations and also potentially touching on the subject of false friends as well. We've kind of spoken about false friends before, but I think it's quite an interesting topic. It's quite a wide topic. What were your thoughts and feelings when you were talking about direct translation, Nicolo? I think I did it in the past and I think I do it even now because my language and the English I speak for my language that's Italian. It's so complicated sometimes to not translate literally, to avoid direct translation, because your brain thinks in Italian, it starts to work in a rush and give you the direct translation. It has improved in time. The more I started in English, the more I read some books in English, or maybe even talk in English, and the more my brain said, Okay, Nicolo, we are almost right. But I want to give you a direct translation every time. <laughs> It's something that I think everybody fights against. And there are some sentences that are just direct translated because of the culture. Because maybe in Italian, I say, for example, if I want to ask you what's the time, if I have to direct translation, I should say, What's the hour? Mm. Just an example. Yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I think for most language learners, this is quite a difficult obstacle to get over and to try and change and to try and influence, isn't it? I mean, as you said briefly, I mean, you've tried to change this by reading or, or what have you found the most effective way of trying to help yourself not directly translate? Repeating. Repeating, okay. I mean, writing down the sentences that I always direct translate mm -hmm. and writing them down in a, in a notebook and then exercising, repeating 10 minutes per day, the same sentence. Maybe asking to myself something related to that sentence. The target is to create a new habit and to make the sentence to come out all of a sudden without thinking. Mm. I mean, it's a very simple methodology, isn't it? But I think that can be very effective, mainly because you're getting your brain out of the habit of 
just as you say, doing a direct translation, isn't it? It's more a case of creates a natural sentence or it creates something that is really from the language rather than going through your Italian filter. As you say, I think it's just repetition, isn't it? Really getting your brain used to the idea that it needs to output that particular sentence in that way, even though part of your brain saying, no, 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 that's a translation, <laughs> or it should be a translation. Like fighting as a boxer. No, 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 don't say that. Just direct translate. I think our brains do that, though, don't they? Which is rather annoying to some extent. You are kind of fighting against it, aren't you? And I think a lot of learners out there, English learners and language learners in general, find this a very frustrating aspect. But it's just how the brain works, isn't it? If you think about when you were a child, I mean, the reason why you learned your language was just by listening to your parents, mostly, wasn't it? And repeating what your parents were saying. The same kind of methodology, in a way, can be applied to a different language. In an ideal world, you need to learn a language when you're a child or certainly below the age of about 13 in an ideal world. But obviously, for everybody, that's not always a possibility or hasn't necessarily happened, has it? When did you learn to a really good level your English? When do you think you became confident? I think I became confident when I started to focus more on the sound, mm -hmm. to challenge my brain to say new things. Mm -hmm. And asking to myself if the sentences I used were correct when I started learning the new way, I mean, to mm -hmm. say something in English, avoiding the direct translation. I started asking to me, okay, but is that the right way to say that? How can you say that? It became really frustrating, <laughs> really, because sure. you know that you want to avoid direct translation, but you ask, okay, but what's the right way to say that? that thing because your brain tried to get some false friends words and to put in direct translation that's really frustrating but i think talking with people were really helpful because you are involved in a different way compared to studying on a book because there's your imagination your emotions maybe you are trying to tell a story about you to someone that has different language. So you are more involved in that. And maybe your brain records the new way to say a sentence more easily. More direct interaction, you're saying, between yeah. other people. Because it's like avoiding the filter you were speaking about. Mm -hmm. It's like direct speaking. So the more you speak, the more you read, the more your brain, this is my opinion, I know that you are more expert than me in that. Not sure. <laughs> it's like speaking in a direct way. Like your brain don't need to think too much. Definitely. I mean, I suppose it's more spontaneous, isn't it? But also as well, I mean, I would say, I don't know how you feel about this, but I would say on a personal level, it's very important to listen, especially in the early stages of learning. If you were to be able to spend time with native speakers, and even if your level wasn't very good, I know a lot of people feel self-conscious about this idea and feel maybe embarrassed about their level. It depends obviously on the context of where you're meeting people, but if you're meeting people, I don't know, in a language exchange environment, I mean, there's plenty of language exchanges 
that are done in different countries and different cities where you'd have English native speakers there if you're learning English, of course, and then they're perhaps learning your language. I think if you're able to put yourself in an environment, if your level isn't very good, but you're still listening a lot of the time and trying to just add small things, I think you can pick up an awful lot from native speakers just by listening. And at the beginning, that's really, really, really difficult because you don't know a lot of the words and things like that. But it's amazing how much you pick up about a natural way of speaking just by listening to stuff. And that can be also things like the radio. It can be things like podcasts. Do you ever find yourself when you're speaking to native speakers thinking, oh, he said that. Maybe I should (laughs) say that. Do you find yourself doing that? Yeah, but it happened with old things. I mean, maybe there were some songs that I couldn't understand in the past, or maybe some movies, some films in English, where I says, okay, I don't get what he's saying, so it doesn't matter. But now that my level has improved, when I come back to those songs or maybe films, I said, oh, that's what he's saying. It's a kind of magic because you know that you didn't understand that, but now it's like normal. The sensation is pretty strange. I can say the same thing with the people when they speak, as you said, with two native speakers. Oh, even with you. Even with me. Yeah, yeah, because... (laughs) I am a native speaker, remember. (laughs) Really? Oh. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) um, I think I made a mistake. I thought this was the yoga lesson. I'm doing some moves now. Can you see me stretching my arm? (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah let, let me repeat that oh my that's back is <laughs> very good that's very impressive when i meet you at the beginning i didn't get everything you said i think the process was the same you were talking about just listening and maybe be relaxed on what i was understanding or not but now it's different because it's like the sounds are more clear because maybe i can speak in a clearer way than before it's like i have a habit listening to you the sound of your voice is something familiar i can understand more some sounds that i thought they were strange to me yeah definitely and i think because you work on your pronunciation i mean i think that also helps familiarize yourself more with the language doesn't it so when you're listening you are hearing those sounds that you're repeating yourself and therefore that makes it easier for understanding, I imagine. It's like the ear and the mouth are linked together. I um, guess they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, no, no, not in that way, no, yeah. not in a physical way. I mean, <laughs> the more I improve my pronunciation, the more I can understand what people say. Mm. I think that is important, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this. I don't know what you think about this, but I've come up with this idea on trying to translate it doesn't have to be a long piece of writing but trying to translate something from english into your own language and i think that's quite an interesting thing to do i don't know if you've ever actually done that i mean i sometimes do translations from italian to english and my italian is not amazing but with the help of things like word reference if there's any doubts i can normally use that to help me to 
understand how I can write that in English. And I think things like that really underline the difference in terms of writing, but also it gives you an idea of small differences. So for example, you can maybe look at translating something from a US publication and a UK publication. Again, it doesn't have to be a long text. It can just be something very brief, maybe on a topic you're very interested in. And then try and compare the two and see what small differences there potentially are. And just small things like that, I think, can help. And it makes you, okay, yes, you're creating a translation into your own language, but then you're noticing the differences in terms of how you translate that. For example, when I translate from Italian to English, I'm like, okay, when I read it in Italian, I understand it, but I'm like, yeah, but in English, we would never say it that way. That's the frustrating part. <laughs> well, it is. At the same time, it's quite liberating when you do an active translation in writing because when you change it, when I'm changing it into English from Italian, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is how we would say it in English. And it makes you, in some ways, think more about your own language, which in a strange way helps you learning another language. I think it's a matter of a culture and maybe the origins of the languages. Maybe it involves the way the people have relationships with other people. And that's how the language, I'm not an expert, of course, but uh, that's my opinion. I think that, for example, when you go in a bar and you want a coffee, in Italian, we should say, I take a coffee. Mm-hmm. But I know that in English, you have to say, I get a coffee. If I think about the different type of translations of to get, it's quite different. That's very complicated. I mean, I think that's curious, isn't it? Get's a good example. I mean, we did a podcast episode earlier on about that. And I think something like get is tricky in English, isn't it? Because it has a number of meanings. <laughs> it's used a lot, but in that context, you can't necessarily give a direct translation you can't really because obviously in english you have one word right whereas in italian you would use maybe four or five words connected to that one word in english something like get is something that people should focus on in a way because it's understanding what get means in different contexts and how it translates to your language in those different contexts which will help you use it better and then when you're speaking to native speakers or you're listening through a podcast or whatever it may be or the radio then you can try and understand each time they're using get and why they're using it get that's always been a tricky one for me really i think it's a tricky one for every english learner and i understand why it's just like for me for example when i'm learning italian or learning another language For example, with Italian, there are certain words that don't really exist in English, potentially, and therefore, in a way, you're creating something that's richer in your mind, even though it doesn't really exist as a translation. I almost think when you're learning a language, you have to accept those differences entirely and just say, okay, yeah, fine, it's not a direct translation. I can't do a direct translation, but how do I get around that? How do I make a different way of thinking about it? (laughs) I was thinking about the thing you you just said about uh, creating something richer in your mind. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you want to translate something, want you say something in, for example, in English, in my example, and I always find out that the less, the better. Because I always try to, okay, how can you say that? I should say that, you should use that word because it's more particular. When I hear the solution, it was like, oh, just that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe it's because of the grammar of different languages. I think it's the grammar, but also the way you learn your own language. And that's partly why I was saying it's good to do a translation because it makes you think more about your own language. What you've described to me is what many Italians would describe to me as an overcomplication of things. And that's partly or mostly to do with the fact that Italian is quite complex in terms of grammar because you always have to remember the conjugations, right? So obviously when you learn in Italian, people have told me that you have to go through the conjugations as a child and understand what, okay, I is this, you is this, we is this, et cetera, et cetera, because they're different, right? And there's a fairly uniform idea as to how those are formed, but you still have to know each of those conjugations to make yourself an effective speaker. Whereas in English, we don't have that much variety it's quite simplistic when it comes to a conjugation of a verb it's pretty much the same right except for third person i think that affects the way you think and therefore you can overcomplicate things and you probably have to reflect on your own language and think is my own language quite complicated grammatically if it is then in some ways Because I would argue English is quite simple grammatically, typically. There are some difficulties, but I think compared to Italian, it's very simple. At Monty, we offer English classes online, so you can join wherever you are. We offer individual lessons or English exam preparation. For first-timers in a group class, it's only £2. Visit our website at montyenglish.co.uk to buy this ticket or book any other package now. When you start talking that way, since you are a child, it's not so complicated because it's a part of your habit. I can understand that there are some difficulties for every language. For example, if I think about the present perfect, it was the hell to me at the beginning. Hmm. (laughs) Really, it's so simple. For me, it was really complicated as an Italian. I started learning that just doing what you were talking about before, just to hear what a native speaker says, even if you don't understand everything, just to make you creating that habit. I started when I didn't understand anything at the beginning about the present perfect. I started saying, okay, now I just start to read out loud some sentences with the present perfect. Mm-hmm. It was like my brain started to understand the scheme of that part of grammar. And now I can use that in, okay, not in a perfect way, but in a more natural way. Maybe that's because it's like to live again, to relive what the mechanics of the human mind do when start to learn a language. I mean, it's like when you're a child, you start to uh, listen to your parents, to your friends. You are training your mind on understanding your language. So 
I think we should do the same thing when you are adults. So listening to native speakers, friends, or native speakers, people, like reliving the same scheme of your mind. Maybe I've directly translated something and you didn't understand <laughs> what you wanted to say. I didn't understand anything. No, I'm only joking. I understand what you mean. I think if you're focusing on a particular grammar point, and I think it's like with anything, right? I mean, for example, if you've bought a red mini car, and as soon as you bought your red mini car, you start seeing millions of red minis around, which you've never noticed before, right? And I think it's the same thing with things like language learning. If you're focusing on the present perfect, and then you're, as you say, kind of repeating things out loud, which I think is a very good thing to do, and getting your brain used to thinking about that, obviously saying it, so therefore it's acknowledging that it's something to be said and it's slightly different maybe from your own language. But when you're listening to a podcast or when you're listening to the radio, you'll start to notice every time a native speaker uses the present perfect. Yeah. Because that's what you're focusing on, right? In a way that doesn't matter if you don't understand everything else the native speaker is saying and you just pick out or you just acknowledge all of the present perfect stuff that they're saying. I mean, that's fine. I think also when people are listening or interacting, they always feel they have to understand everything. And really you don't. You just have to understand a general idea. We call it a gist. And I think if you understand a gist and if you're using the present perfect, you're just going, ah, oh, he said that. Ah, <laughs> oh, he said that. And then that, that's fine. You don't have to understand everything. You can just pick those features out of it. And that in itself is very useful. The other thing that I find very useful, so I do a language exchange with Elena, who you know, obviously, in terms of Spanish exchange, she features in the articulation episode that we did. I remember. We did some awesome stuff there. <laughs> Everybody listened to it. You have to listen to it. You can always adapt, right? Every time you're language learning, you can always adapt the way you learn. And I found one of the most effective ways of improving my Spanish is, I mean, I use a tool called Memrise, which is like an application. And sometimes I'll just use it for five minutes a day, but it kind of repeats different phrases. Also, it uses a lot of phrases that are particularly Spanish from Spain. And I look at them and see them. And then if I have any doubts or any questions, I just spend half an hour or so with Elena and just be like, okay, what about this phrase? Do you use it? When do you use it? And think about the context of how the native speaker uses it, particularly if you're learning from a book, I would say. When you're learning from a book, often you'll see things and the book will be like, okay, it's like this, this, and this. And it's very kind of exact with the way it does it. Or it says, okay, sometimes it's a bit different, da, 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 da. but it doesn't really tell you completely how it's different or when you should use it or when you shouldn't use it. And then you know, you kind of go to the native speaker and you're like, okay, in the book, it says this, what do you think? And they'll be like, oh, well, actually where I live, we just use it in this way. And this is how we would say things. The book or something like an application gives you something to work with. And then a native speaker will be like helping you make more sense of it. 
and also helping you understand whether they use it that much or whether it's something that you should prioritize in the way you speak. You mean that the book is too much, can we say, technical? A book is always going to be very matter of fact, isn't it? Like as in it's just giving you factual information and it's not giving you the small details, the nuances in the language, yeah. which only a native speaker can do. For example, if we talk about in Italy, in the north of Italy, typically you would use the passato prossimo. You would usually use that in spoken Italian, right? Rather than using the passato remoto. If people don't know Italian, sorry. But basically <laughs> the, the idea is that in the north of Italy, people will speak in one way. And in the south of Italy, people will speak in another way. Passato remoto is more used in Tuscany too. Okay, they sure. use it a lot. I didn't know that. My point is, is that even though the language of Italian in its strictest form says to you, you have to use the passato remoto in certain circumstances and the passato prossimo in other circumstances, native speakers don't follow those rules strictly because of the way people speak and where they're from, right? Yeah. That has to be true of any nationality in any language. Understanding those differences in the way people actually speak is key, I think. If your main purpose is to communicate with people, then you can understand, okay, if I use this phrase, most Spanish people are going to be like, oh, yeah, cool, and then they'll keep on speaking <laughs> to me. Whereas if I use this other phrase, they're going to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay, that guy is part of us. That's good. Exactly, because particularly if you're using a phrase which only native speakers use, then that really helps, right? I mean, like a very small example is between Mexican Spanish and Spanish Spanish. For example, if I go to Mexico, I would say que padre, which means like, oh, that's cool. But if you go to Spain, they don't use it that way. I mean, people would probably understand what you mean because of the Mexicanism that people know, but they don't use it. In Spain, they would say que guay, for example. Things like that are really interesting. It's real, right? And you're making sure you use what the locals use, and that helps you connect with people. Is that the same thing about cookies and biscuits for American English and UK English? Is that the same difference, as you said, for example, between Spain and Mexico? Is that the same for the American English and uh, UK English, the use of biscuits and cookies? I think so. I mean, for us, a cookie is like a biscuit with chocolate chips in. Okay. Something that's quite flat and quite large would be a cookie for us. Okay. I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but if any Americans want to correct me, but I would suggest that anything that's like a biscuit is a cookie for Americans. I don't think they have biscuit in American English. Does it sound strange? for you if an american said could i have a cookie yeah well not really because i don't understand what they were saying but it seems a bit strange because it's not what we think a cookie is for example if i had an ordinary biscuit that didn't have any chocolate on it or chocolate chips or whatever and an american says oh can i have one of your cookies i'd be a bit yeah sure there you go but in my brain i'd be like that's not a cookie <laughs> you know because of the context right it's only when you're unfamiliar 
with the word or you don't use it really. I remember in the States, there was the word faucet, which is like in English, we would say tap. That was the first time I'd ever heard that. And I was like, what? You say faucet? That's weird. <laughs> when an American first used that and I didn't know what it was, I was like, what's a faucet? <laughs> Did you experience some funny situations about direct translations? I have experienced that, yes. <laughs> Not necessarily always funny, but one example with the Italians is often people would say, I get on very well with all my parents. My parents are fantastic. I have parents in Argentina. <laughs> I have parents in Australia. <laughs> Something like that's pretty funny. That's strange. In England, we only have two parents. How many parents do you have? <laughs> How many fathers and mothers have Italians? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe biologically, you're different to us. That's an interesting false friend, right? Because obviously in yeah. Italian, parenti is relatives rather yeah. than being, being parents. Yes. But that's a common mistake. The other aspect I was going to talk about is the idea, and this is curious in terms of how cultures think and also express themselves. So I remember a student I used to study and we were talking about this idea and she was like, okay, in English, if I'm talking to my friend and I say, I like them, what do I say? Or I love them, what do I say? And I'm like, You just say, I, I love you. Depends how you say it, right? I could say to you, Nicolo, for example, hey, I love you. You're such a great guy. So obviously, when I say that, I'm saying that in a friendly way, right? I'm not saying it in a romantic way. John, I really love you with all my heart. Oh, my God. As a friend, you know. <laughs> interesting now i'm confused i was getting excited because i thought you romantically liked me and then suddenly you said as a friend i was like oh my god but that is a really nice example because in english it's about the way you say it right the fact that you said it in a romantic way to begin with and then you said as a friend in english that makes my mind explode because it's wrong in the sense if you do do that and you do say that then you're a bit of a bastard because for me it's like okay if you say the first part and you say it in a romantic way and you don't say the second part then it's like okay great Niccolo loves me romantically and if I feel the same way then I'm like wow obviously if I don't feel the same way then I'm really happy when you say as a friend at the end right <laughs> in Italian my friend was saying okay so in Italian you have what maybe four different ways of saying things depending on what your level of love and affection is um, always really i don't know that let me try and go through them so okay to me piaci would you say that you'd say yeah. that so i like you so that's just in a fairly casual way i think you're a nice person right yeah that's okay. correct and then you would say ti voglio bene a direct translation is i want you a lot right or i want you well yeah it's like being more lovely with a friend yeah you don't love as i said before to you john <laughs> but it's like i really like you yeah we are close close friends it's a way of affection isn't it yeah you wouldn't say that to a girlfriend right it depends on how much you know someone okay yeah sure that could be used with a girlfriend or boyfriend but also a friend to say more affection and yeah. to say something, yeah, I really love you as a person. I think you're a great person. I like spending time with you. 
Yeah, that's correct. Maybe there's only three, but anyway, the next one would be Tiamo, which is like, oh, Nicolo, Nicolo, Tiamo. I know that would would be romantic, right? You are romantic. I try my best. (laughs) That's the extreme way. I love you. I only want you. Oh, right. Okay. I was speaking about the Tiamo. I wasn't talking to you, John. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. (laughs) Okay. So there's three. Maybe there's not a fourth one. But anyway, you have those different levels. And in English, we don't. We say, okay, I like you. I love you. It's about style and it's about how you deliver. And obviously in Italian, it is about how you deliver it as well, but probably more in English. It's about how you deliver it because we have just two phrases rather than you having three or possibly four. That's interesting because I didn't recognize those ways of saying in Italian, I like you, I love you, etc. Because it's like it's natural to me. That's why I said four ways. Whoa, that's just because I didn't recognize in my language because it's so natural to me. Exactly. That makes you think, right? Therefore, something like ti voglio bene, you know, if you directly translate that into English, it makes no sense at all. So Mm. you may as well just remove it as a translation because it doesn't exist. The translation in English would just be like, I love you. I, I really enjoy spending time with you. So it's the way you say it. That's interesting because it's like having different shapes for the words. I mean, the way you say something is maybe so important, is more important than what you're saying sometimes. Yeah, very much so. I can't say, John, I hate you, really. No, I can't say that. Of you can, course. I'll be happy. I don't really like you either, so that makes me happy. That's good. Damn. <laughs> when you say that, there's real feeling in your voice, right? If you genuinely mean it, there's real feeling there. If I say to you, oh, Nicola, I hate you. <laughs> no, why? <laughs> but if I say it like that, it's more, you know, you're joking around with your friends, right? It's more like, oh, I hate uh, you. Oh, yeah, I hate you. You're so annoying. <laughs> Why did you say that? That's important for people to think about, right? Just thinking about how you deliver something. Yeah, yeah. I think we're probably going to have to wrap up now because we've spoken about quite a lot. I think we've spoken about some nice things. I think it should be useful to listeners. Thank you very much, Nicolo. I think that has been another awesome episode. Thank you to John for this experience. And I really love to enjoy your podcast. See you next time. Definitely. I mean, we'll get you on the show soon with Elena. I think we could do another one oh, like yes. that. Thanks for listening, listeners. You've been listening to English with Monty. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave me a donation online via our website. Monty is a small independent company and I do all the editing myself. I would suggest £2.50 to buy me a coffee or £5 for a beer montyenglish.co.uk then just click on the podcast button at the top you can donate here thank you i appreciate it